My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. You kind of get lessons from everything you do in life, I honestly believe. And the lesson I took from it was that it, it, it made me want to become a buyer's agent. So I would never do what he did to me, to anyone else. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with young property investor, Sam Gordon. He began his property investing career at a really early age and we delve into his background with growing up on a farm, his passion for soccer and how that led him to a professional soccer career, how his property investing journey started and much, much more. Sam Gordon is a property buyer's agent and also property investor and has been running his own agency for the past 12 months. We learn about what a typical day looks like for Gordon. I'm a bit of an early riser. Uh, I used to be part of the kind of 5am club. I beat that these days. So I get up at uh, (laughs) 4.59 every morning Uh, (laughs) and I I go on train uh, every day. I'm a bit of a fitness fanatic. Uh, I love that. So um, yeah, so I kind of start my day that way and then usually I'm home by about 7 and then I pretty much spend my entire day um, sourcing, you know, the exact properties that my clients uh, need next in their portfolios. Um, These kind of range from anything from your standard sort of, you know, bread and butter, below market, strong cash flow, high growth deals, right through to high cash flow, like really high cash flow plays uh, and your manufactured equity deals as well. So I'm kind of out there networking with all, all that sort of stuff, trying to trying to get as many uh, good deals as I can for my clients. And then obviously on the same, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, talking to my clients, working out exactly what they want and, and strategizing with them as well. Gordon gets up early and he's able to get so much done within that short period of time in the morning because of his ability to plan. As soon as I get up, um, I actually spend the first 15 minutes of the day kind of setting out my day. It's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a weird ritual that I do. I kind of jot down everything. I kind of wake up and I'm, I, I kind of, I'm wired like straight away and I kind of just jot down everything that I want to do during the day and then I, I literally go and train for at least about an hour and a half uh, every day and, and, and during that time, I kind of, I can refine what I want to do during the day. So, as soon as it kind of hits the seven, I'm back home, shout and I'm just, I'm just firing like straight into the day. So, then by the time I hit nine, um, anything I kind of needed to get set up before I can start calling people, uh, you know, I kind of get that all set up. So then as soon as as soon as it's nine, I'm, I'm networking, I'm hitting up different people, I'm chasing up different deals, building a pest inspectors, brokers, everything, just trying to get on the ball all the way through. Just I, I pretty much just kind of run all day as, as long as I can and just get as much in as I can really. 
What time do you normally finish off for the day? Some days I go right through to literally at about 10 o'clock um, while I'm kind of crashing out. But uh, but it, it kind of depends what I'm doing. I, mate, I, I absolutely love what I do. Um, I, I don't see it as a job really. I, I You know, it's, it's a passion for me, mate. You know, 18 properties in the, in the past 10 years, I, it's just something I love doing. And then the fact that I can go out and help other people do the same thing and build the same sort of portfolio, mate, I, I love it. It's yeah, I, I, I literally will probably do it for <laughs> kind of until I drop, I guess. We delve into Gordon's backstory and he shares with us about where he grew up. I grew up about, uh, it was about two and a half hours uh, south of Sydney uh, in the in the Southern Highlands. It's a bit of an agricultural hub uh, down that sort of way. It's, it's actually quite a beautiful area. Um, and I, I grew up on a farm uh, with my, my family. Like we all kind of, kind of worked the farm from a pretty young age. And uh, yeah, yeah, my uh, my parents are very, very hardworking uh, people. You know, they kind of worked seven days a week for for as long as I can remember. And um, yeah, it was, it was it was a cool environment to kind of grow up there and kind of be on the farm, not being you know a city slicker sort of thing. You just kind of growing up, work working on utes, working on motorbikes, and uh, doing all that sort of stuff. So it was it was a good upbringing. Living and working on a farm at an early age takes up a lot of time and we learn about his interesting treks to school. It was two and a half hours each way. I used to catch two trains and a bus into uh, into Sydney. I went to a, a sports high school in Sydney called uh, Westfield Sports uh, and I was I was there for soccer and I was pretty pretty keen in my soccer back in those days and it was a pretty competitive school to be at. So, so yeah, I used to leave. Oh, that's the thing, I'm kind of used to the early mornings. I, I, I think I used to get up at 4.30 and catch a, it was about a 5.10 train. Um, from the Highlands to get me up there, and and yeah, it was a, it was different, but it, it kind of I guess bred something a little different into me as well. He could have gone to his local high school, but wanted to follow his dreams, and was given the chance to attend a prestigious high school by his parents. They gave me the opportunity. Um, uh, sorry, like the, the the decision to make for myself. I was pretty keen into soccer. I think back back then, back when I was kind of. Um, you know, at that sort of age, I was always playing two or three age groups up, uh, and the, the opportunity wasn't going to be there to, to play in the um, in the in the you know I guess play at the at the level I wanted to play at down in the Highlands. So my brother and sister both went to quite good schools down here, and I had the opportunity of going to, to a fairly good school down here, or to or to kind of trek it up and go to um yeah go to go to the old Westfields. But it was it, it was good, mate. I, I loved it. Um, yeah, it was tra- you know, we, when you go up there, you train every day. I was playing uh, in the New South Wales Premier League at the time as well. Uh, so we used to train uh, three to four times a week, game on the weekend. And then in school, we used to train four days a week as well. So it was uh, it was pretty full on, but I, but I loved it. The high school Gordon went to was a sports-focused high school. And we learned how it was different from a normal high school. It still had all the subjects you, you kind of would normally go for. Uh, but it saw sport as an additional subject that we used to do uh, outside of the standard curriculum. So um, the way our school was, it was quite a big, about 2,000 kids in the school and what they had, the juniors, the kind of seven to nine, we used to train in the mornings. Uh, I think we, we start at 7.30, finish at nine and, and, and start school after that. And then as seniors, we, I think uh, we used to start school earlier, but then finish earlier and train after school. Uh, so it was kind of, it was actually a really cool setup the way they did it. And um, yeah, it was, it was a good experience. I, I did love it there. So you mentioned you also played in New South Wales Premier League as well. And what at what stage was that? Was that during high school or after high school? I was playing it uh, during high school as well. So they've got like a juniors a juniors level there. And uh, like truth be told, the New South Wales Premier League is pretty. It's pretty. I think the only one that probably comes close is probably the Victorian as well. They're they're pretty good down there too. And uh, it's you know there's a lot of really good players there. And I think 
I think I signed my first first grade contract. I left school at 16. The travel was just kind of killing me when I kind of went into those HSC years uh, in year 11. So I left school at 16 and signed my first uh, signed first first grade contract then. And it was um, it, it was an awesome experience. Played for some really, really top clubs uh, at, the, at the time. And we find out about what signing a contract for Junior Soccer League means and how it works. Once you turn 16, you can sign pro contracts uh, and essentially start getting paid. So, um, so yeah, like what they what they normally do is they kind of try and pick the cream of of the youth coming through, and if they get them on a pro contract, they kind of typically will keep them at the club for a while because you gave they gave them you know they kind of typically gave us our first shot, and uh, so that's where they try and they try and sign sign guys up and, and try and keep them on for the long term, and it's essentially, um, I guess. You know, like I guess if you're a little more in tune with, I guess the NRL or something, that's like the youth systems where they pull the they pull the younger players through. Um, and I guess this was a little before the time of, I th- yeah, it was. It was before the time of like the A League youth systems. I think they brought that in when I was maybe around 21 or 22 or something like that because it came in just after I would have been eligible to go for it. So it's essentially the same thing. Now they've got like the the National Youth League, which is where they kind of pull the players out of that to put into their first grade teams. The contract that Gordon signed provided him with a platform to do what he loved. I was still working full time, so it's it's kind of it's it's not as kind of full to, you know as full to, full on as you as you think it would be um, at, at that point. You kind of just train you train three to four times a week and you play on the weekend, but you train in the nights after work. Pretty much everyone had jobs. There's very few people that would have would have bothered uh, or would have been able to live on what it was, especially people with families and stuff. For me, it was. It, to tell you the truth, coming from the Highlands, the contracts I used to sign back then, mate, they just used to, they used to cover my fuel pretty much. <laughs> it wasn't until I started getting a little bit older, um, I think around about 19 or 20, that's when the that's when the pay started getting pretty decent. And um, and yeah, you started actually I started actually banking a bit rather than uh, <laughs> rather than just covering my fuel costs. Normally, on average, from your experience and, and seeing everyone around, how long do people usually stay on a club for? It's so dependent on the player and the club, because if a club has a good run, I remember I played for Sutherland Sharks. I had I had six seasons there, and Sutherland Sharks—they were a great club. I absolutely loved them, and uh, a lot of players stayed for a long a long time uh, at that club. But then I left I left Southern, I think when I was maybe 19 or 20 and struggled to find a club that I really fit in well I had a hip surgery I had a hip operation back at that at that age and it was it was a bit of a struggle for me breaking back into different first grade teams uh so you know I was I was just kind of in a bit of a struggle period there and, and I jumped around clubs a lot so I'd gone from six years straight with Southo and then I think I, I played at the Wolves uh so I think I went to Berries. Uh, you know I had a couple of different I had a couple of different years around there still in New South Wales Premier League and then I went down to the uh, Illawarra Premier League uh where you conversely the money is is actually pretty good uh, and you don't have to train quite so much so you can focus a bit more on the career side of things as well he decided to leave high school and immediately began to help out the family business until he knew what he wanted to pursue. I actually jumped on with the family business. Um, they were looking for someone at the time and because I left about, I think I left about a third of the way through year 11. It was a bit too late to jump into another school. It was a bit too late to try and find myself a trade. So my boy just said to me, look, why don't you just work here for uh, till the end of the year and then maybe jump on a trade or, or um, you know, go go into another school, maybe, maybe go back and do year 11 and 12 again. I, I'm like I'm actually I'm reasonably smart, but I'm not like a huge academic. I don't love studying. I never saw myself going to uni. So, uh, you know, by the time that year kind of rolled out, I was I was looking at either um, 
doing the doing the trade or staying with the with the family business. But I would have been taking about a you know a pay cut down to about a third of my wage if I if I had have done uh, had have dropped back to a trade. Which looking back, you know, the trade off at that age is massive. You you may as well you may as well go and do the trade. Uh, and if I could have gone back and told my younger self, I definitely would have gone back and probably been a chippy. Would have been pretty handy in the in the in the real estate game. But um, but no, I, I stayed in there, and, and to tell you the truth, mate, I worked there the whole way through until uh, until I uh, you know kind of hung up the tools and and uh, and started the buyers agency. Working on his parents' farm, it taught him about the value of hard work and how to be successful. They pretty much were the pretty much the the, the premium agricultural stock feed you could get in the country. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's pretty much the best stuff, and, and that's that's what we used to work really hard on. Um, my dad's like an absolute perfectionist, and the the stuff we used to produce, the results we used to get were, were crazy. So they, you know, conversely, you get paid really well when you do something really well. So uh, uh, yeah, it was it was a it was kind of a cool learning curve doing that side of things as well. It was a bit different, you know, very different. I've actually never, uh, well, I haven't really met too many people that are in, <laughs> in stock feed manufacturing. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a different thing. It's certainly. It kind of got the hard work side of me um, down pat because it's you know it was pretty pretty uh, labour intensive job. Nothing was given to his parents, and Gordon explains how they were able to build their farm from the ground up. When he bought it, it was originally a it was originally a rabbit farm, uh, like a, a dying rabbit farm. When when he and my my mum they moved down from uh, Sydney, they actually lived over in the Sutherland Shire, and uh, they did quite well. They bought their first house, and it was kind of back in the in the boom days. And uh, they bought their first house, and it tripped. Sorry, it doubled in three years, and they sold it down, and, and kind of had enough to come in and buy this buy this farm. And my dad's a mechanic by trade, and and so he built this he built this mill, he, uh, feed mill himself. He went and bought all the different parts. They didn't have that much money. They went. He went and bought all these different parts and built this mill uh, up from scratch, and uh, <laughs> was able to produce his own stock feed, his own pelletized feed for these rabbits, and grew it into. I, th- I think at the time when he sold it, it was the biggest, uh, the biggest rabbit farm in the, in the southern hemisphere. Uh, he actually, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. As when any other job, he had to start at the bottom but then eventually worked his way up in the business. I started just pretty much as a labourer uh, when I first left. They kind of just needed an extra labourer there and I was kind of uh, doing a lot of the helping with the production side of food and I just worked my way up um, as, as different people kind of either left or you know they weren't willing to step up to new positions when we were kind of going through a bit of growth. Uh, I, I kind of moved my way up into, into kind of packaging and distribution and then logistics side of the business and then I kind of was going out and uh, actually actually doing sales for the company as well trying to source source new clients and stuff too to to you know have different avenues to sell it down so I just kind of worked my way the whole way through it and it was, it was you know a bit of a different experience I guess. The family business had an impact on Gordon but there was a moment that pushed him down the property investing road. My parents were never they've to the truth, they've never had an actual investment they own they own the farm and they've got a holiday home uh, down the south coast but they never really went out buying investments um I have a couple now that I've that I've helped them with, um, but it was it was kind of what what it really was. What got me into it was when I was uh, about 18, 19, I saved up about twenty grand, and I wanted to go out and buy a Toyota Supra. I was uh, obsessed with Supras, and um, I, I came very close to buying a couple. and And my dad was a mechanic; he'd go along with me. He just picked these things apart just so I wouldn't buy it. <laughs> and then it, and then he and then he eventually was like, "Look, mate, look, I think you should uh, I think you should look at." Um, Buying, buying, buying yourself your first home instead. You know, put your money into it. And I'd always kind of thought about it. One, one of my big idols is um, uh, Harry Triggerboff. 
you know, always, you know, you always hear about how many he's got. Yeah, every year it goes up like a, you know a few hundred units or something that he's that he's accumulated. And I, I honestly love the guy, man. He's 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 an inspiration. And I remember from a very young age hearing about him and about other really successful investors that had accumulated all these properties. And I thought, well, how cool to be to own all these all these properties. So it was kind of when he when he kind of pushed me in that direction, I got a little bit obsessed with it and started doing all the research and then I'm a bit, I've always been a bit of a bargain hunter. So then I'm out there like talking to people and trying to find the best deals. And that's kind of that, that, you know, that's really how I got into it. Him giving me that little bit of a nudge and then, um, you know, my normal obsessive kind of nature, <laughs> just getting in there to, to get the best thing I could, I guess. We delve into Gordon's first property purchase and what he learned from that first experience. I was... Funnily enough, I was 19 at the time when I did it and it was just after I'd had my hip operation and it was funny because all I could really afford in the immediate area was uh, was a unit well, where I was looking. So, uh, when I first looked, I looked down in uh, Wollongong, which is about an hour and a half south of Sydney. It's, it's, you know, it's a satellite city right on the coast and uh, it's, it's quite a nice spot. And uh, all I could afford was a unit. So here I am with this buddy, <laughs> this bung hip, kind of hobbling around after this surgery, trying to go up these uh, like walk-up blocks, like two and three-story walk-up blocks, <laughs> shuffling up these stairs. And uh, but it was, I'll tell you, it was a good experience. I don't know if I got a good price because the agent felt sorry for me or what. But um, but no, that that was pretty cool. And uh, that so that was pretty much the nuts and bolts. But I just I just went out and talked to as many agents as I could and. It was funny, I kind of realized from a young age, you had to try and ascertain what something was worth uh, in a broad sense in a market, what something was worth to be able to identify what's cheap or what, you know, what's, what's below market, you know, what you're, you're making money on your way in from. And, you know, I, I did I actually did quite well at it. And, and I reckon I bought, even even on that first one, I think it was about 25, 30K below market when I bought that one. So, um, you know, I just, I guess I've, I've always kind of had that, so much ability but the want to buy something cheap you know like i said before i've always been a bargain hunter i guess gordon runs through some of the numbers on that first property and the inspiration behind what he decided to do with it the market value on, on this thing would have been around about 300 grand i reckon uh and it was in original condition it was a 1995 uh unit it was a three-story walk-up and i paid 275,000 for it uh yeah and I, I, I pretty firmly that it believed it would have been worth about 300 and um it was it was kind of good because i was looking for my first thing i wanted to do a little renovation project you know i think it was it was back when the I mean the block's pretty big now but it was back when the block was huge and I used to watch it and uh, I wanted something I'd get my hands a little bit dirty on so yeah so that was that was kind of my first deal first uh, you know first little purchase and then I renovated that I think it cost me all up it cost me about eight eight grand to reno that um, and I, I kind of you know put a actually I didn't rip the kitchen out I put all new appliances in I reconfigured the kitchen a bit but the carcass was still pretty like the you know the carcass of the actual kitchen was still pretty good and I I just kind of you know looked into how I could I guess tart it up a bit and I used like high gloss enamel paints and stuff and and new door handles and this thing looked like a looked like a brand new kitchen and um yeah it was it was actually pretty cool and and I think in the end I lived in it for about a year with uh, with one of my good mates, and uh, and then yeah, and then I ended up renting it out. So I paid two seventy five. I put the I think it was about an eight grand reno into it, um, and then uh, rented it out for uh, three forty a week. That one, which wasn't with with <laughs> the type of investor I am, I am today, that definitely wouldn't have made the grade, <laughs> cut the grade. Uh, but but um, but you know it wasn't too bad. Uh, you know for for a first investment, I definitely didn't I definitely didn't stuff up at least. With 18 properties currently in his portfolio, 
we find out about where most of these properties are located? All throughout Australia, um, I've got one particular I kind of call it my patch that for both myself and my clients, I do what I call manufactured equity deals. So, um, duplexes, subdivisions, wholesale land and builds and stuff like that. I've, I've been investing in that area since I was, um, I think I've been there for about seven or eight years now. And I just, I know all the agents, they know if they got a good deal, I'll buy it. So, it's, it's the one area in New South Wales that I still invest in today, you know, it's, Sydney's, you know, Sydney's pretty well cooked, I guess, but uh, it's the one area I can still always make really good money uh, in that market. And then um, outside of that, I've, I've got a lot of investments in uh, in both Queensland and South Australia. And I'm looking at diverse, you know, possibly diversify a little bit more. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident in both those markets, uh, well, all three markets really, because I still hold uh, quite a lot of stock in New South Wales as well. Out of 18 properties, how long did it take you to accumulate to those properties? I bought the first one at 19. Uh, I did the second one. See, this, this is the kind of thing. If I, I wish I knew, I wish I knew now what I. Sorry, I wish I knew then what I knew now, because uh, <laughs> if I knew, if I'd known that I could have uh, refinanced out my equity, I would have gotten cracking a lot, a lot sooner and kind of built up a lot more. But when I was 22, I did my next one. That was uh, that was a wholesale. I, I got the land for a really good price. I built on that, and um, that's when I kind of realized I could I could pull money back out of a deal and put it into the next one and then I kind of went on a I think I I lived in that one for a little bit and then that's kind of when I found out about being able to do the refinancing and uh, then I think I was t- 25 I bought two more 26 this is when I started kind of ramping up I think 25 I bought two more I think 26 I bought four and then I just kind of you know I was consecutive kind of three or four every year un- until now Gordon has been building his portfolio for the last 10 years and he shares a moment that he considers to be one of the lowest points throughout his property investing journey. I've actually been really happy with every investment I've made. I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a crazy when it comes to getting the deal right. It takes me, I wouldn't say ages to pull a trigger, but it takes me ages to learn a market back to front before I put my money or my client's money into a market. I need to know it back to front. So I don't, re- I haven't really made a mistake in terms of that. My, my probably, I've not really spoken about this. My, my probably worst moment, my, my lowest point would have been, I had an idol growing up that I used to read about. Um, I used to read everything he was in. And I think when I hit about seven or eight properties, he's a buyer's agent as well. And uh, I went and met with him and uh, I just wanted him to review my portfolio and tell me what he thought. And he absolutely shredded me. He, he, he absolutely paid my portfolio out so bad, said I was doing terribly and conned me into um, using signing up with him as a buyer's agent. And, uh, you know, his fee was, was, a, was a fully paid upfront fee. It was about 10 grand. And, you know, over the next three months, he kept bringing me these properties and I said, mate, what were you paying my portfolio out for? These are the worst deals I've ever seen. And I ended up, Tyrone, mate, I ended up doing my dough on 10 grand. I, I, um, I called him up one day, absolutely gave it to him and, um, and uh, you know, told him not to call me back again because it was just, it was very, very disappointing, you know, for, for a guy that I grew up absolutely idolizing, you know, to, to be completely honest to, to kind of have that happen to me that that would be my lowest point I think but you know you kind of you kind of get lessons from everything you do in life I honestly believe and the lesson I took from it was that 
it, it, it made me want to become a buyer's agent. So I would never do what he did to me, to anyone else. And, you know, it's quite simply, you look at the way I kind of charge my clients. I, I, I charge a very, very small upfront fee because of that happening to me. If anyone wasn't happy with what I did, it's, it's such a, you know, it's, it's a minimal. I've always said to people, if, if you're honestly unhappy with what I've done, I'll give you your money back because I would not, I don't even present a property to my client. I wouldn't buy myself. Um, and, and that's, but that's just the way I, oper- I operate. On the flip side, he talks about a moment in his career where he knew that he was on the right track and everything seemed to fall into place. The biggest thing for me, and it's, it's something that I really focus on with clients as well, is <laughs> recycling equity. I think, honestly, that is the biggest, the biggest game changer we have as investors is See, see I, the way I work with my investors, I have three different um, three different avenues I buy for them, but I always buy in below market. It is as you said to me earlier, it's it's all about making your money on the way into the deal. If you make your money on the way into the deal, you can force a bit of value on top of that, and plus maybe have a bit of growth as well, which is what we're always aiming for. And then you can recycle that equity back out, essentially recycling back out the deposit and all the monies you put into the deal, and then go and put that into more. You can it's essentially a very repeatable and scalable process. Excuse me, and that's you know that's that's what what we're always going for, and that's like that that for me when the first time I ever did that, which was actually probably not the first time because the first time was Wollongong, so I didn't pull I wasn't able to pull too much money out of it. Probably I think I'd put about thirty five into it, and I think I pulled about fifteen out. But when I did the buy and build, I think I put about I didn't have heaps of cash. I think I maybe put about forty five k into it. But then I was able to refinance. I think when I refinanced, I think I pulled out about eighty grand. And when I did that, I was like, I was like, holy crap! Like I just pulled out so much um, capital that that I didn't even really have. And it was then I could go and put that. What I did was I went and put that into positive cash flow deals. And I was just like, wow, this is you know you got it. You got to constantly making your money on the way in, so you can pull it back out and keep going. And hey, let's be real. Deals that can yield 20 to 30% per annum do exist. Don't believe me? Well, here's a story about property development I invested in Victoria. This developer had the project fully funded beforehand, but he and his family suffered a loss, a circumstance that led him to be unable to proceed with the development. So, I stepped in and in two weeks, we funded the shortfall, allowing for the development to continue. Five months later, the development was refinanced and we received our funds back with interest. Yes, there are amazing opportunities in the property market like this one. So, do you want to get a better return with lower risk on your money? Then, register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Gordon dives right in and tells us about the strategy that he has found most useful when he has bought properties for himself and his clients. I guess the strategy in terms of it, like I've called this something, right? So, what I use is I call, I use something that I've called the Trident formula and and essentially what it is, is I have kind of three, there's three different types of deals that I love to work with and it's Buy, it's those bread and butter sort of properties we we're just talking about. You're buying in below market, um, you know, with strong cash flows, you know, in solid growth markets with value add potential. They're kind of what I kind of call like a base, like a, f- a foundation property, right? And I, I add a bunch of them into the portfolio. But then it's it's doing it's doing the small developments, doing the little buy and builds or duplexes. Um, 
uh, small subdivisions, stuff like that. Even strata titling, I've strata titled um, twice. I've done, I've done um, strata titling twice on unit blocks, and it's it's honestly such a great way to be able to pull that cash out and keep going. And I think when you combine those two with really high cash flow deals. Um, I'm talking stuff like dual occupancies, unit blocks, uh, commercial properties. When you're kind of combining the three of those, right, which is essentially my trident, right, like my it's, it's three different prongs there going at any one time. When you're combining those three things, it's honestly it's almost like unstoppable because you, you're getting the cash flow, you're getting the equity, and you're buying it below market. So you can pull that back out, and it just it's just a continual process. And that's I guess that's that's what I do. Um, that's what I've done for myself, and it works so well that I was able to uh, kind of model it into this this kind of this formula, this strategy. And that's yeah, it's the same thing I use for my clients, and it's mate, it's honestly it's showing some really really good results, and and I'm pumped on it. <laughs> After explaining what his strategy is, Gordon shares a story where he's put his strategy to the test. An easy one to think about, you know, in terms of all three strategies, right? So, um, my first one, kind of a bread and butter, a typical sort of one, I'll just call out the last one I've done in the, in the portfolio. I bought in a property that was probably worth about 210, $215,000. Um, it, it needed a little bit of work. Uh, and I bought it for 185,000. I went in there and I, I smashed out the Reno myself. I uh, did all the work. I did it in. It was a back-to-back uh, eight days. Each day was about 18 hours, I think it was. This was up in Brizzy, and I, I drove all the way up after work one day um, on a Friday. Smashed it out for a whole eight days straight, just back to back and then uh, <laughs> and then I drove all the way back to work and started started work the following day but the thing was what I did was I saved so much in labor that I think I did this reno I budgeted it it came in about six and a half grand so all up I think on this property I spent 191 and a half thousand dollars and it got revalued at 200 and uh, 60, I think it was 260,000 and it was renting for 300 bucks a week and this is in a growth corridor in Brizzy and like that, you know, pro- adding properties like that into the portfolio, they're, they're your foundation properties, you know, that you can just add them in all day long because you can pull that pull that uh, equity out and go again. And then so what I did at the same time I was doing that, I also had a buy and build on the go. Uh, sorry, it was a, it was a, it was a dual lock uh, buy and build. But so what I did was um, through in that area I was telling you about where I have some really, really strong contacts. Uh, I got brought an off-market deal before, it, before it, you know, was even advertised. The agent rang me and said, look, um, I have a developer. He needs to shift uh, a block like right now. Uh, and he said, look, what can you do for me? And this thing probably would have been, would have been worth at the time, probably mid, mid to high threes. Uh, three hundred thousands, probably around th- maybe three sixty to three eighty. I said, "Look, mate, all I've got is two hundred and fifty grand to buy this thing." And he's like, "Mate, two hundred and fifty grand is not going to get it." Anyway, we did a bit of bargaining and the rest of it, and, and in the end, I picked it up for it was two hundred and eighty-three thousand. Uh, I I did a build on it, a dual lock build. Anyway, all, all up, it came in at about six hundred and eighty thousand. Uh, combined rent on it is uh, nine eighty a week, and it got valued recently at nine hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, and it took me about. 12 months and uh yeah and and so i think whatever that is i think it's about two hundred and seventy thousand dollars in equity and uh it's positive cash flow that thing is about twelve thousand dollars a year positive cash flow so that's yes yeah, it's, it's kind of it's it deals like that like they're the ones that made oh, this this is my bread and butter i love doing that stuff and, and getting out there and, and doing those sorts of deals It is important to build relationships with the people working in the property industry because you never know when a deal can just fall into your lap. A lot of these deals, um, I think, 
with what I buy, probably about 40, 40%, I think I've worked it out at some point, it was around about 40% of what I buy is off market uh, through agents that I have been dealing with for, um, I think I started buying in Brisbane, Adelaide for going on five years ago. Uh, so, you know, and, and I'm always in touch with them. And, and go, whenever I go up there, like I've got some, some of these agents, man, I'm like, he's good mates with them now. Like I go out there and I go out there and uh, I go out with them on the weekends and stuff and go out for drinks and, and, uh, and, and for a feed and stuff. And they're actually become good mates. And it's the same as the agents I've got in my, in my local area uh, that I was, sorry, the area that I kind of invest in down down this way, down south of Sydney. And um, it's it's the same thing, mate. That they kind of they know I'm a serious buyer. They know when I call them and I'm talking about saying I'm not stuffing them around. And a lot of agents, mate, for the sake of an extra, even an extra thousand bucks, they're just like, look, if it's done, I'll call Sam. He'll he'll be able to flick it onto a client or do it himself. You know, if if it's a good deal. And um, it's honestly, mate, it's building those sort of relationships, those sort of connections that brings you the deals before they hit the market. Or They'll call you when something's been sitting on there for ages and the vendor's like, nah, I've, this has been on there for three, four months. It was overpriced at start and the vendor's just become realistic. It's like, nah, I just want to sell it. And they'll drop like 50 grand off what they were originally wanting. And they're like, well, if I call if I call Sam, he's got someone that'll buy it today. And it's, it's building those relationships and keeping in front of those people all the time. And to be honest, mate, like they're actually mates of mine now. Like I, I get on really well with these people. So they're... They, they love being able to call me with, with good deals. So, it's, it's kind of win-win. Gordon prides himself on being able to talk and get along with anyone and he shares a story where that ability came in handy. I've done a few renovations down there and, um, you know, I've kind of done renovations everywhere everywhere that I've bought but uh, a few renovations and, and when you do renos and you kind of, it's, it's good in a way being a buyer's agent because when I go do renos, I'll go and, I'll go and speak to the agents and, and kind of chat with them and go and see a lot of different properties while I'm, while I'm there doing different stuff. And it's it's kind of this, mate. It's, it's honestly it's the same thing. You just you just build those relationships. And um, mate, I tell you, I, I don't know how I do it. I got these these weird connections with people heaps heaps early. There's this one place where I did a unit block, and um, a strata subdivision. And I renovated four units, and um, I got on really well with the building and pest inspector like we just it was weird man like we were there for like four hours it's like chatting and carrying on and stuff and it was like a 40 degree day uh it was that hot and he's like mate just come back come back to the house for an iced tea i go back his wife's like who the hell is this guy like he apparently never brought anyone home and uh from like a bloody job site and uh i've gone in there had the iced tea had lunch with them and then um before i knew it they were kind of uh you know offering me whenever i you know when i was coming back down to do the renovations uh that i could stay in the the granny flat out the back so i went down and and smashed out a three-week reno on this place and i was just staying in the back of this guy's house it was gordon was able to develop his own strategy but with an abundance of investors in the market He's seen similar approaches. There's definitely people out there doing developments. I don't know if they're kind of doing it in the same way um, because a lot of people that I know, they do one or the other. And I think what helps me enabling to do kind of everything is I've got those industry contacts now where people are kind of calling me. I don't have to keep my finger like I, I do keep my finger on the pulse everywhere, but I don't have to keep my eyes on every location all the time because a lot of people will bring me really good deals. And to be honest, I only really focus on uh, five markets. So I've got my normal developing location in New South Wales and then I have two locations in Brisbane that I buy and two locations in South Australia that I buy. And um, it's 
it works really well for me because I only need to worry about those areas because they're the areas I have I, I really um, really believe are going to grow, and so I just I just focus on those areas. And once the growth has come to those areas and they're no longer the right places to invest. I'll move on to another, I'll do my research again, find the area I think truly is going to grow next and go and move that that onto the next area. And then, so I'm still only really spreading myself across across five locations, so to speak. And honestly, mate, it's, it's building those, it's building those connections, building those networks and just having people being like, oh, look, I'd prefer to call Sam than call anyone else. And, you know, if I can bring it to the, to the, bring it to him and he's going to buy it and that vendor doesn't have to pay two and a half grand in marketing, then that's a, that's a bit of a win-win for everyone, especially if they need to sell it quickly. With such an impressive portfolio at such a young age, Gordon runs through how much it is worth. Mate, I haven't run the numbers on the portfolio exactly for a little bit. I think she, in terms of, in terms of value, I think it's up, it's around about 5 million uh, in net, sorry, in, in gross worth. I think it's, I think I've got about two mil in equity in there. Last time I checked, and the positive cash flow that made that's what allowed me to to leave the job and start the buyers agency. The positive cash flow is up around about sixty grand a year. I think it's a tad under sixty grand a year at the moment. After following his dreams of playing soccer at a young age and then moving into the family business on the farm, eventually he achieved his goals within the property industry and talks more about what is keeping him motivated. I think I really just want to set myself up for. Uh, when I when I meet the right you know the right lady and and you know kind of get myself a family uh, build myself a family I think I really I just want to be set up I I don't want to be as I wouldn't say as hardworking I think I'll always be hardworking but so dependent on needing to work really hard as my parents were and I think that I think that's probably the biggest motivating factor for me I saw how hard they worked all the way through to to their mid sixties you know until. Um, you know, I kind of was able to give them a hand as well with some stuff and, and they were able to kind of step back a little bit from work. And I, I think growing up with that um, looming over me, I, I definitely didn't want that. So I think the biggest motivator would be wanting to be able to set up, set up my family um, going forward in a, in, a, in a good way and, and for us to be comfortable. Gordon has a successful portfolio of 18 properties but it's not quite enough for him. In terms of the accumulation phase, I think I might be, well, I wouldn't say I might be done because I had a goal. I wanted to have 20 properties while I was still 29. I didn't want to turn 30 with under 20 properties. So I still kind of want to pick up two more. Um, but I think once I've picked up those two, uh, to tell you the truth, like most of this year, I've pretty much, I've just been focusing on my clients. Um, you know, that's 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 what I'm really excited about. You know, I, I get these people come on board, man, and either they've been burnt the way I was burnt um, back in the day and they don't trust people and then I can kind of flip that on its head and, and show them, um, you know, for one, that I'm an honest guy but that I really actually want to help them achieve what it is they want. And I, I think that's that's the thing. I think I'm a little more excited about that side of things and, and um, in, in terms of that. <laughs> Rather than kind of looking at growing my portfolio much more at the moment, I'm pretty happy with where it is, and uh, I guess to tell you the truth, I wouldn't mind getting a commercial deal. I think I've been doing a lot of research into commercial lately, and I think maybe for my, those last two that I pick up before I before I call it call it a day for now, I think I'd probably wouldn't mind uh, wouldn't mind doing a commercial deal or two. He started accumulating properties at a young age, and we learn about whether he had any help along the way. I've always been someone to kind of go it alone a little bit, which. If like looking back now, I, I probably could have you know done a lot better than what than what I have. To, I have done pretty well, but 
I think I probably could have done a little bit better if I had maybe looked to a mentor or, or to someone to help me. But to tell you the truth, mate, I, I spent a lot of time, especially probably through to about 25, I spent a lot of time reading, you know, you, you'd probably know the, the three big mags that were back then, um, you know, the, the three big property mags that came out every month. It's it's down to only one one mag these days. and But that was it, mate. I, I just used to pour, pour over those. I, I, I read them religiously. You know, I had the subscription to all three and literally when they came out, I read them back to front and learnt everything I could and um, yeah that was that was I guess that I think that was where I picked up almost everything that I learnt uh, would have been through that stuff just just digesting as much as I could and then applying it as I saw fit I guess different people are different but like I love listening to podcasts man I listen to most of the stuff you do as well and it's it's a really cool way of Mate, that's what I do. Every time I drive somewhere, I've got the podcast on, you know, listening to different stuff. But it's the magazines. I'm, I'm definitely with you there. Kind of being able to read it and looking at the numbers. We delve into any book recommendations that Gordon has for us. I was always a big reader um, when I was a kid, you know, in terms of fictional stuff. But I didn't – I can't really put my finger on any books I've really ever read that, that gave me too much. Um uh, you know what? I guess back in the day, I probably read Steve McKnight's. You know, he was probably one of the idols of mine. You know, the zero to uh, 130 in three and a half years, um, which is which you know isn't actually possible anymore with the way lending is these days. Even if you were able to find deals that good, you actually couldn't you couldn't do it in that in that manner anymore. But that, that that was a cool book, I guess, to read. But to be honest, to be honest, Tyrone, it was all it was all the magazines. They were as good as a book to me, you know. I kind of there's so many different stories, so many different perspectives in them, and that for me was was the big thing. Most of the time, the best advice you can receive comes from the people closest to you. The old boy, don't buy the Supra. <laughs> that, that is it, man. Honestly, that would be my best advice I've ever received. That would be easily the best, the best investment I never made. Some of the most successful people in the world are creatures of habit. Gordon shares with us what routine he likes to do on a daily basis. Two kind of things come to mind as soon as you say that. I, my 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 morning routine, that, you know, that I was kind of talking to you about before. You know, getting up at four fifty nine and then just training every morning. It, it's it's weird, man. Like most people would probably think, you know, you'd you'd get tired from doing it, but I get such a massive boost of energy. Uh, from doing it and literally I'll run all the way through till I crash every night and, and get up and do it again and it I don't know it's, it's, that's, a, that's probably yeah in terms of habits that, that's probably that's probably the you know probably the biggest one towards the success the, the other the other one that sprang to mind that, that I kind of mentioned was uh, I, I think I can read people judge people very quickly it's um, I didn't do that so much when I was younger I think I, I got an inkling about what someone was like, or I got a gut feel, and I didn't. I didn't back myself in trusting it. Whereas these days, uh, I'm very quick to to back my gut on on um, you know on my take of someone and, and apply that. I guess accordingly. Um, I guess that's a. Uh, I guess that's kind of just more of a mental thing for me, uh, backing myself in that regard, trusting myself. He shares with us what advice he would give himself if he met himself ten years ago at the beginning. I would have kind of gone harder. Um, yeah, probably. I probably would have said to him, "Buy more, buy more in Sydney. Like you know, pull pull out the equity and, and go again." Um, probably look to accumulate some, some, some different development sites or, or even dual ox sites and stuff like that. Uh, I, yeah, I just would have said, "Go harder, back yourself, go harder." At such a young age to have built an incredible portfolio like he has, there is plenty to look forward to in the future. My journey in probably the next five years is probably going to be pretty much for my clients. Um, Mate, I'd love to see who I could retire in a five-year window. 
Uh, <laughs> it's look, property property is a long term game, but if if someone came to me with the right, um, you know, probably borrowing capacity and, and deposit level, uh, <laughs> probably could bloody retire them in five years. But it's honestly, mate, in a five if I a lot of my clients though, what I have for them is a five-year game plan of accumulation and it pretty well goes close enough to achieving what they want. They've just got to then let the portfolio mature uh, and, and then probably throw in a few different uh, little manufactured equity deals along the way as well. But honestly, mate, yeah, probably the next five years, you know, personally maybe try and pick up, like I said to you, a commercial deal or two, but then, mate, I just want to go full hog for my, uh, you know, all in for my clients and just see see how, how well I can do for as many of them as I can help out as many people as I can. The perks of using a property buyer's agent is that they're able to show you things that you didn't even realize are possible. There's a lot of people that come to me and they, they think they can maybe only buy one or two and it's I think it's flipping that on its head. Also, a lot of people don't realize the volume of properties you kind of need to be able to retire. Uh, it's, it's not... You know, it, it, definitely in my strategy, it's not one or two or three properties, you know, that are worth a million bucks to get through. It's it's building a foundation portfolio, like I was saying to you before, of maybe three to six really high quality, you know, your below market, strong cash flow growth sort of properties, building them and then it's 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 doing the other accelerated strategies alongside that. And it's and then throwing in a foundation property every, you know, every year or so as well. And it's I think it's when, when I actually put that on paper for people or, or talk about and explain it to them as to what we what we need to do and that the way I show them how they can do it and how I can help them do that, when when I've done that for people, may even just, just seeing in their eyes and, and they get their aha moments in in that moment when they're sitting there across from me and that's, man, that's that's powerful stuff and you see that, honestly. It, I can sometimes be a bit of an emotional dude, man, and when I see that sort of stuff, man, it makes it like I, I buzz, hey, like I get, I get so much energy from from showing people what is possible and uh, and, and it's cool because I, like I'm, I'm not saying as someone who's, who hasn't done anything or maybe only bought a property or two, like I've been doing this for a long time and I'm confident in what I can do for people and, and when they when they can kind of feel that and thrive off it, mate, that's, that's really the most powerful thing I, I think I get to experience. Gordon talks to us about whether luck or skill has shown to be the dominant factor throughout his young career. You know, there's a lot of people that say, you know, you make your own luck and stuff like that and, and you do, you know, you have to position yourself in a market to, to um, experience the growth but, uh, you know, I think I got a little bit of luck in terms of where where I am based geographically, you know, if I was based in, you know, Brizzy, Perth, yeah, or Adelaide or something like that, I wouldn't have probably, you know, I definitely wouldn't have seen as much growth as I had in, in the probably first uh, first few properties that I bought that were kind of Sydney region based and I got a lot of growth off them as well. But I also didn't kind of sit in the side, I just buy and, and, and pray, you know, it's I, everything I've done and every deal I do, I'm always forcing value. So, Mate, I would definitely say, you know, I probably at least have had 20% luck, you know, 20% luck because, you know, but it's, but then it's, there is a lot of skill involved in navigating the market and buying the right properties and the strategy, that, 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 sorry, that Trident formula that I use, you know, implementing that, it's all well and good to have it on paper, it's implementing it buying the right properties, doing the deals and having them going all the time, you know, picking up the high cash flow deals, all that sort of stuff. That's that's skill. That that is, you know, I may have been working on the farm for 13 years, but I tell you for the last 10 years, 
uh, <laughs> that that's been my second job. My primary focus all along has always been real estate, and it's you know it's it's in my mind I'm a professional at it. I'm a professional investor, and and uh, yeah, man, I love it. <laughs> if you want to contact Sam Gordon, this is how you can reach him. You can find me online uh, at www.australianpropertyscout.com.au, uh, and then it won't, if you go on there, you can kind of fill in this little info box there. Uh, we can we can book in a book in a call and, and have a chat. Uh, you know, and there's you know you can have a look at uh, some different client deals and stuff that, that's been on there, as well as I'm on the or, you know the socials as well. Uh, so, you know, on, on Facebook, just search Australian Property Scout, uh, Instagram as well. But you know, feel free if there's anyone out there you want to you know reach out to me and have a chat. I'm always uh, always willing to have a chat with people and see see what they're hoping to achieve and, and how I can possibly help them. You know, little portfolio reviews and stuff like that, mate. I'm more than happy to do that. Thank you to property buyer's agent Sam Gordon, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear his full story, visit propertyinvestory.com.au. If you love the show, perhaps you're now ready to invest your money in a low-risk, high-return deal. If you are, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a lender. There are amazing opportunities in the property market right now and I'm looking for lenders who want to invest their money for as short as 6 months. What are you waiting for? Don't let your money just sit in the bank. To register your interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. Witness history at Roland Garros where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.